coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman, your host. I am really excited to be bringing you today Christine Lucan. Christine is a dynamic individual, and I think you're really going to enjoy this show. So, Christine, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, can you tell people a little bit about what it is that you do? Absolutely. So, um, I'm Christine Lucan. I'm known as the Financial Lifeguard. And I am a money coach who specializes in the emotional side of money. So unlike financial planners, I don't sell investments or insurance or any of those wonderful financial products that you absolutely need. I am focused on helping individuals to manage their spending, to get their debt paid off, to build up their savings so that they can be financially healthy. Because once they're in that spot of being financially healthy, then they can really do long-term wealth building. And, you know, my brief story of how I came to be doing this is that I crashed and burned financially in my late 20s, despite having an accounting degree. So, I owed three payday lenders money. I was behind on my car payment. Pretty much all of my bills were past due. Um, I jokingly say that if it's possible to have a negative score, uh, credit score, I probably did. Um, (laughs) I don't know that that's possible, but I mean, it was really, really bad. And there was a lot of shame and embarrassment for me around that, um, that situation because I was actually working as an accountant for a multi-million dollar machine tool company, helping to prepare their budget, and yet I was bouncing my own checks at home. And so when people say, well, how did you get to that place? Well, a good part of the problem was I was in a very unhealthy relationship uh, with a guy who had terrible money habits. He was in and out of jobs and in and out of jail. I thought if I just loved him enough that he would change, and he did. He got worse. So after... (laughs) But the wrong kind of change. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, after being with him for seven years, I had a wedding dress in the closet. You know, we had a deposit down on the hall. And I, I finally got to that rock bottom place where I said enough is enough. Um, and I didn't even have enough money to move out. I ended up having to go and stay with my parents for several months to get back on my feet. Um, and I just remember there being a lot of shame and embarrassment around my money mistakes, especially because I was someone who should have known better. And going through that situation, it really made it very crystal clear to me that personal finance is not just about knowing what to do. It's not just about budgeting and saving your money and not having too much debt. There is this whole emotional piece to it. 
And if we don't understand that piece, then we can get caught in that cycle of money shame, right? So we make this mistake, we feel bad about the mistake. And then because of that shame, we want to hide, right? We don't want to tell anybody about it. And because we don't reach out to get help, then we perpetuate that cycle. Because if we don't have someone to help us process those emotions, and we don't have someone to give us good, solid financial advice, we're going to repeat. You know, we're going to be and you end up in the, the cycle and just going around and around and around, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, when I'm working with my clients, it's really about putting both together. It's putting together the emotional piece with it, along with the practical suggestions about how to do the daily management money uh, piece of it better. Because then that actually creates the upward spiral, right? You start doing things right. You start making progress. You start feeling better. That encourages you. And then you keep on that road to success. I absolutely love that you're approaching it from the emotional point of view first. Because, you know, I'm in financial planning and there's a lot of financial planners out there. And the hardest part is always dealing with people's emotions around money because they're very, very strong. And a lot of people don't even realize how strong their emotions are around money until they start getting into the conversations. And it can get to the point where, you know, people get overwhelmed because they're like, well, I, I just want it to work. Like, how do, how do I just make this work? So I, I love that you're helping people in that area because everybody needs it. It doesn't matter who you are. Yes, absolutely. And I especially love helping individuals who are going through divorce because that is a time when emotions are through the roof. Yeah, that makes sense. And I like what you say on your your website where you say you're passionate about empowering you. So it's all about the person that you're trying to help. And, you know, I've never been through divorce myself, but I have seen it from the outside. And it can create, especially in situations where the money comes in, some very tough situations for people. So what do you do when you're talking to somebody who is in the process of going through divorce? Yeah. So the first thing that I remind people is that money is like the third person in your relationship. You know, when you're married, you're dealing with that other person, but money is right there with both of you. And even though you leave your ex, you and money are still together forever. And so it's important that you, you know, that clients understand that they have a relationship with money. And what I mean by that is, you know, how you interact with your finances. If we think about having a good relationship with any person in your life, you have to spend time with that person. You have to be honest with that person. You have to respect that person. And if you don't, bring those same qualities to your relationship with your money, then it's always going to be a struggle for you. And so, you know, I tell people, we need to examine the things that happened in your marriage relative to the money. You know, how how was money handled when you were married? I'll tell my clients, I'll say, tell me about the money disagreements in your marriage. Because the interesting thing about money fights is they're really not about the money, right? The money usually represents power. It represents what that person 
is interested in. It represents their values. So usually disagreements about money are either power struggles or they're disagreements about values. And helping people to explore that and to see that they need to spend some time and attention on their relationship with money is really the very first step that they have to take. I like that. And it's a different way of looking at it, but it makes sense when you think about money being a relationship that you have. And I really like that you're using that analogy because it does make a lot of sense to me. So there are three emotional landmines that I see as being very common in divorce. And so the the first one is using money as a weapon. So this happens when a person feels like they need to punish their ex. You know, perhaps their former spouse was having an affair or was spending money on something. You know, maybe they had like a gambling addiction or, or you know, some other thing that made the person feel betrayed in some way. And so they are actually taking this out and lashing out towards this person by using money. So this can manifest as reckless spending, unreasonable demands in the divorce proceedings, and acting from a place of anger. So this is really the the fight response, right? So anytime we are in a situation where we feel that there's some sort of danger, you know, we can either have the the fight response, the flight response, or the freeze response. And so this is this is the fight response. And just an example as one of the ways that this can manifest, I was talking to a financial planner. This was probably like two or three years ago. And the wife had gotten half of the husband's 401k, which, you know, can be pretty common in the divorce proceedings. And she wanted to withdraw $50,000 of that money to go buy a BMW convertible. He tried everything that he could do to talk her out of it, but she felt like this was a way to punish him because he was having an affair. And every time she dropped the kids off or picked them up in her red BMW convertible, she was throwing it in his face that she had spent his money on this convertible. But the problem and you can probably, you're probably already well, doing this yeah, calculation I'm, I'm, in your I'm head. I'm already thinking it, yeah. <laughs> you're <laughs> the like, one she's okay. really hurting is herself. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Because now she's going to have a tax bill, right? Because she's got to pay tax on that money. She's going to have a penalty. So that's easily, what, 30% of that money? It's a good chunk. Is it more? Is it more than that? So let's just say that's an extra 15000 So she's going to owe the IRS $15,000 that she doesn't have sitting in her savings. So this car that she drove off the lot, which, you know, as soon as you drive a new car off the lot, it's going to drop like 10 grand in value. So now it's not worth 40, you know, 50,000. It's only worth 40,000. And because of the taxes and penalties, if you don't have the money to pay the taxes and penalties, then you have to dip back into the 401k again. And then Absolutely. you have to account for those. So now you're taking even more money out. And then she ends up in a position where how is she supposed to fund her retirement, right? Exactly. Because we haven't even talked about that $50,000 and what's the compounded growth of that money over 
over 20 years, that car probably cost her 300 or $400,000 over that, over that time period. It's just insane. You know, I remind people that the best revenge against your ex is your long-term success. You know, getting that sucker punch in might feel good right now, but you're basically sucker punching yourself when you do something like this. Yeah, that makes sense to me. The math doesn't yeah. end up working out, but you know, people in their in the emotional spot will make decisions without uh, accounting for the logic behind them sometimes. Absolutely. And so here's what I recommend for people who are really feeling that strong angry emotion relative to their divorce is I help them to find productive outlets for their anger and frustrations. I mean, I regularly recommend physical activities like kickboxing, axe throwing, yoga, you know, go to the shooting range, whatever you need to do to physically release that anger and continue to remind yourself success, long-term success is the best revenge. I think it's funny that you mentioned axe throwing in there because that's not a very common thing for most people. Uh, well, you know what? Relatively close to my house, they they just opened this place where you can take a bunch of people and go do axe throwing. So yeah, we, you- we have one in our area too, but it's just not common. So I thought that was pretty funny. But it doesn't make sense to always have some kind of outlet. I, I know, you know, I'm a martial artist. I don't know if I mentioned that to you. Oh no, I love that. Phone, but been doing it for over 10 years and you know my wife will tell you I need it <laughs> yeah. if, I, if I don't have that hard exercise it doesn't have to be like sparring and fighting I just have to have that hard exercise as a daily thing in order to you know be able to function as a person and I think yeah. that you know that helps for all things not just you know the divorce right absolutely well and then you'll see the exact opposite uh, reaction. And I call this divorce landmine giving away the store. And, you know, this happens when the person is tired of fighting. They just want to get the divorce behind them. They don't like conflict. They don't like disagreement. And they just want to move on with their lives. And that was the reaction that I had. Now, in my situation, we hadn't gotten married yet, so I call it my almost divorce because we almost got married, but our finances were entangled, so because he had two DUIs, his car was in my name on my insurance. He was also an authorized user on my credit cards, which of course was a terrible idea, but I just wanted to get away. I just I just wanted to get out of the situation, and so... I didn't make him pay for any of the charges that he put on my credit cards. I let him have 95% of the furniture that was in our apartment. I let him have the car. We basically signed it over to a friend of his. And I just, even when my counselor said, you know, you should take that car and sell it and use that money to pay off your debt. And I was like, well, I can't do that because I was just, I was so tired of fighting And I'm not somebody that enjoys conflict. And it took me a long time to learn how to set healthy boundaries. And so, you know, if you're working with a client who doesn't stand up for themselves, then they're probably not going to receive their fair share in the divorce 
and then they're going to end up regretting it later. And I always like to remind my clients that things like spousal support and child support visitation agreements, et cetera, those things are challenging to amend later. So it's important not to rush the process and make sure you get it right the first time. And so these individuals are exhibiting the flight response to stress. I always encourage my clients to be assertive and to stand up for themselves. And hopefully they have an attorney that will be helping them with this process. But one of the tricks that I have used for people who are are suffering from this is um, if they have a hard time advocating for themselves, I will appeal to a higher cause. So, for example, if they don't receive a favorable financial agreement, it will mean less money for them to spend on their children or even to donate to charity. So I see this a lot more with women than with men. But one of the things, even with the most shy, sweet woman, if you mess with her kids, you better look out. You right? get the mama bear. <laughs> Here comes mama bear, right? So I will tell them, I'll say, look, this is like him st- him stealing from your children, right? You know, if you only get $1,000 a month instead of $1,500 a month, don't just think about that as you getting this money. That's money he's taking away from your kids. And so sometimes just that reframing of what they're fighting for completely changes everything. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is the third pitfall? You had mentioned there's three landmines. Yeah. Yeah. So the third one is what I call the deer in the headlights. And so this happens when someone is essentially paralyzed and they're either unwilling or unable to take productive action. And typically this is a result of people either feeling overwhelmed or confused. And so this is essentially the freeze response to stress. And it can actually be worse than the fight or the flight response. Because the problem is, if you refuse to take action, you will eventually be forced to the point of the choice is going to be made for you, right? So if you, you don't want somebody to... else making your decisions, right? <laughs> right. Because if you procrastinate on making choices, at some point, you're going to be forced into a, into a course of action that you may or may not, you know, want to do. So, you know, I, when I'm talking with financial planners, I tell them it's really important to figure out, is your client overwhelmed or are they confused? Because those are, even though they might sound the same, they're a little bit different. You know, sometimes the clients who have this freeze response, most of the time, they're not the one that initiated the divorce. So this may be a complete and total shock to them. And so they may just be completely overwhelmed by their feeling, right? And I remind them, refusing to make a decision is actually making a decision. And when clients are overwhelmed, it's important that we just give them baby steps. Because if you send a client, you know, you meet with them, whether you're meeting them via Zoom or in person, and you give them a checklist of 10 things that they have to do, and they're already emotionally overwhelmed, they're not going to do any of them. Yeah, that checklist isn't getting done. No. I mean, a lot of times I'll say, here's the only thing that I want you to do. Sometime during the next week, 
I want you to do X. Can you do that? <laughs> right? So when they come back and they say, oh, okay, I've done that, then we can spoon feed them the next thing that they need to do. And so it, it is really important to try and determine what is that sticking point? You know, are they overwhelmed? Are they just confused and they don't know what they should be doing? You know, and this person usually needs a little bit more handholding, which, you know, like you said, Money is emotional, and we definitely have to be aware of that and expect that when we're dealing with clients, especially in a situation like divorce. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. So we kind of talked sure. about, you know, if somebody's going through divorce, what does it look like? What are the emotions like, you know, around the money? But, you know, a lot of times it becomes, at least in my experience when dealing with clients, it can be a little more difficult even afterwards once everything's all said and done of now we had all this plan. We were planning for, let's say, retirement as a couple, but now I'm on my own. And maybe I was the person that was in charge of it, or maybe I was the other person that didn't have anything to do with it. Like, what did those people do? Like, how did they take the next steps? Frequently, that's when the clients come to me because they say, maybe I've never handled this before or you know, a lot of times it's not really a matter of competence. It's a matter of confidence that they've always had somebody else to act as a sounding board. And now all of a sudden they don't or all of a sudden they don't have an accountability partner. So it's kind of that double edged sword of, well, now I can do whatever I want to, which and, has yeah, and good now, now I, Right. And it's like, <laughs> oh, and now I can do whatever I want to. And now I can do whatever I want to. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so for some of those people, they might need some extra education. Maybe they've handled the day-to-day -day bills, but they've never done any long-term goal setting or long-term planning. Maybe they've never, they've always been on the sidelines when they meet with the financial planner, right? Their Their partner was the one that always took the lead. And many times they're in a situation where all of the people who comprise their quote unquote money team are the people that their ex-spouse chose, right? So they may be in this situation of, I want to pick these people for myself, right? I I don't necessarily want to see the same CPA or financial planner or tax person or, you know, whatever the case, banker even as my ex, because I want this person to be 100% focused on me and what I need and not be kind of tainted by that, that previous interaction. So I think you'll see that, you know, financial planners tell me that a lot that, you know, when clients get divorced, usually one of them stays and the other one goes, it's very rare that, that both of them, that both of them stay. But it's really super important for that person to engage in that relationship with money and say, okay, what do I need to do to handle my day-to-day -day finances? Where do I need more education? Where do I need accountability and encouragement from a financial coach or from a financial planner? But also looking at that long-term view and casting that new vision. Because like you said, we might have had this plan of here as a couple this is what retirement is going to look like, and this is what's important. Sometimes people have a hard time imagining what the new future is going to look like, right? 
And I have seen that a lot. I feel like more so with divorcing women, a lot of times they've put so much focus on taking care of the kids and taking care of their husband that they've never been given permission to want things for themselves. And so it's really cool to see them transform over a period of months to being like, you know, I might ask them, ask a woman, okay, so what sorts of things do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Where do you want to go? What kinds of vacations do you want to take? You know, I, I need to know this information so I can help make a prosperity plan that's going to get you there. And they'll say, well, you know, I want X, Y, and Z for the kids. I want to, you know, do a Disney cruise, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but what do you just want for you? And I can't tell you how many women I've had when I've asked that question that they've just cried because no one's ever asked them that. It's pretty profound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it, it takes them a while to to figure that out and to be able to allow themselves to dream about the future and what that can look like for them. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's a very tough thing to do. And working with the right people is always going to be the most important thing. And a lot of times that's the hardest thing to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I love connecting with heart-centered financial professionals like yourself, because then it makes it so much easier for me to make those referrals to people who I know that this person's going to take care of you. I, the one of the harder parts too is like once they do have some type of vision of what it is they want to achieve. Well, how do I do that as a single person? Because it yeah. it is a little bit different than when you're planning for a married couple. In some ways, yeah. it's a lot easier, and in some ways, it can be a little bit tougher. But you do have to approach it a little bit differently and make sure that you're utilizing things because you know maybe your your husband or your wife had a pension and now that you're single, you no longer have that. So Absolutely. that income that you thought was going to be guaranteed isn't there or, right. you know, vice versa. There's a lot of different aspects. That's just one small thing. But I think that single person planning is so much different than the married couple planning that you have to work with somebody that's able to make that distinction. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you've got the tools, you've got the products that can help people achieve that. So that's awesome. And Christine, I want to ask you, when you were coming through the situation that you had with your ex, and you had all the emotions going on, and you finally got to the point where you had it, and you were ready to go, what was the first step that you took to get out of that? Yeah. So the first step, which is also the hardest step is to admit that you need help and that you're, you're ready to make that change. It's like the worst and the best moment all wrapped up into one. When you finally say I've had it, I don't know exactly how to change this, but I can't do this anymore. And you know, when people come to you and say, I'm just so sick and tired of having my money stress me out, right? To them, it feels like the worst moment to finally admit that they need help, but it really is the best moment. And I tell them that. I say, you know what? I'm very honored that you were brave enough to admit that you can't do this alone. And I promise you, you're going to look back and see this as being one of the best turning points in your life because you basically said enough is enough and I'm, you know, I'm ready to change, but I also need help 
doing this. And I needed help doing it, even though I was an accountant. I say that my dad was my financial lifeguard because he was that person that sat down next to me and said, okay, let's put together a plan. Because when I looked at my bills, I mean, it was very emotionally upsetting because every bill had a story. You know, I would see the charge that my ex-fiance had put on the department credit, credit card for my Valentine's Day present, and now I was going to have to pay for it. I got a little emotional about that, right? right. <laughs> but, but to my dad, it was just like, okay, this is one bill in the pile of bills, and you owe $900 to this department store, and here's your monthly payment. And he would say, okay, here's the, the one or two things I want you to do over the next week, and then we'll meet again. And that's essentially what I do for my clients now, is I am that emotion, I'm, I'm emotionally unattached to their mess, right? I, I can, you know, I can see things clearly, you know, to me, when I start looking at things, it's like the first step becomes obvious, you know, although I'm very emotionally sensitive to my clients, I'm not emotionally attached to their bills. And that is a very refreshing perspective for them to have, because then they have that third party sounding board, they have someone there to give them encouragement, and to hold them accountable to get those things done that they need to get done in order to get to that place where they're financially healthy. I like that. And one of the other cool parts too is you don't necessarily have to be in the dumps, right? At the rock bottom. You can make exactly. that decision at any point. You could even be doing really well. And one of the best things that you could ever do is realize that you need advisors in your life across the board. It doesn't matter Absolutely. which area of your life it is. You know, everybody that's successful has a group around them. It's kind of like you go to your doctor, you go to your primary care doctor, and he finds out you have a knee problem and you need surgery. Is he going to be the one that does it? No. <laughs> I would right. I mean, not if you want to walk again. <laughs> so you got to go see absolutely. the specialist. I, you know, I absolutely love what you're doing because it, it is a very specialized thing, but I, there is a huge need for it. So it's a absolutely. really awesome thing. Now, I do want to wrap things up a little bit here, but before I do, uh, are there any questions that you can think of that I should have asked, but I didn't? I don't think so, but you know I could talk about this for like another two hours. So oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's good. That so, yeah, passionate. Yes, I am. I absolutely am. So uh, kind of off topic, what are you curious about going forward in uh, life here? This is probably obvious. I, I am always extremely curious about the psychology of money. And so that's something that I study a lot. And, you know, just due to recent events, I have been dipping into the financial impact of racism. And that has been extraordinarily interesting to to research that topic. And I'm learning a lot of things that I didn't know. Well, just give me a little bit. What have, what have you learned a little bit about? You know, just some of the framework that that people, especially people in poverty, that when there's extra, this one w was something that I thought was very interesting, that when extra money comes in, there's this mindset that we're always going to be in poverty. And so if you have extra money, you give it to your friends and family or you spend it. And that's like one of these underlying, almost unspoken beliefs around that. So just been, it, it has been very interesting for me to dive into some of these, 
into some of these topics just to to broaden my awareness because I do have clients of all races, all ages, and so it's been very interesting for me to kind of expand my understanding of of some of these things. And you're gonna have to send me some stuff that you find because I, I love I learning more about it. And you know, I'm not far from the city of Detroit myself, and I have a lot of clients that are in the city and outside the city. I mean, my clients go from a huge range of people, so. I, I love learning more about that, and I know that it's a huge issue right now and has been, obviously, for a very long time. So thank you for yeah. bringing that up. But if people want to learn more about who you are and what you do, where can they go? Yeah, so probably the best place for them to go is to moneyisemotional.com. That will actually take them to the book page on my website. I did write a book called Money is Emotional, Prevent Your Heart from Hijacking Your Wallet. And it is the story of how I crashed and burned financially, but more importantly, it talks about how do we pair the knowledge about the emotional side of money with the practical tools that actually help move us forward financially. And so there, there's plenty of great information on the website, but they can also download the first three chapters of my book if that's something that interests them for free right there on the website. Great. Well, Christine, thank you very much for being on the show today. I thought this was a absolutely fantastic conversation. For those of you that are listening, this has been another episode of the Safe and Sound podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman, your host, and we're going to be bringing people to you from all across the country, just like Christine, from a variety of different industries to make sure that you have the opportunity to build a safe and sound lifestyle. So thanks again, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.